Welcome to Keep the Faith, my usually bi-weekly podcast in which contemporary issues are explored through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. I said usually bi-weekly because I skipped the podcast two weeks ago without prior notice, which I apologize. And thank you to the two score or so of you who managed to flood my email with what happened messages. I'm never sure who's listening to these podcasts, even if it is being heard in 11 countries. And I've got to say that barrage of emails was so very assuring and gratifying. Okay, let's get to it. This week began with firefighters in Chile battling fierce forest fires in the center of the country that so far have killed 123 people and flattened entire neighborhoods most of which was caused by a heat wave plaguing the country. It's Chile's worst natural disaster in years, and the death toll is expected to keep climbing. Here in the United States, the week began with an extraordinarily strong killer wind that clocked in at an extremely dangerous 162 miles per hour. That happened at Ward Mountain near Fresno in California, as torrential rain, strong winds, and heavy snow pummeled the Golden State for more than two weeks now. As that weather pattern moved eastward this week, particularly high mountain snowfalls were being recorded in some places. Other states most affected by these storms are Alaska, Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Nevada, Utah, and Wyoming. The National Weather Service expects to see as much as two feet of snow in some places. Climate change is at fault for the horrendous weather we've been experiencing these last few weeks and these last few years. Just since January 1st, these storms have caused more than 90 weather-related deaths in the United States so far. At least 25 deaths in Tennessee, 16 in Oregon, 14 in Wisconsin, and over 24 deaths to date in California although that number almost certainly will keep climbing upward. Idaho, Illinois, Michigan, Minnesota, and Texas are other states that reported weather-related fatalities in the first six weeks of 2024. The extraordinary rainfalls in California also have caused uncommonly severe flooding, avalanches, and mudslides. All across the country, there have been widespread power outages, flight cancellations, and travel disruptions of all kinds. That's just the picture in the first six weeks of 2024. And it follows 2023, which registered as the world's hottest year on record. As an aside, expect that record to be broken this year or during 2025 or 2026. That's what the climate scientists are telling us. As for what Judaism, starting with the Torah, is telling us about all that, The topic for this week is Judaism's take on climate change and what we need to do about it. I addressed this topic in a recent sermon, which I distributed to you, my loyal listeners. But given the continuing deadly weather we're seeing, I feel that it's too important a topic for this podcast to ignore. Besides, just two weeks ago, we observed Tubishvat, the New Year for Trees. As I've said so many times on this subject, Tubishvat is a whole lot more than being just about trees. 
It's Judaism's way of calling our attention to the Torah's insistence that we must do whatever we can to preserve our world, not destroy it. I mentioned that 2023 was the hottest year on record so far, but there's another hot subject that needs addressing, pun intended, and that's the amount of heat stored in the upper layers of the ocean. It reached a record high last year, too. And that is a cause of great concern because the amount of heat in our oceans is a big part of the reason that storms are becoming so much more intense and destructive. The warmer the oceans are, the more energy they provide for these storms. That record heat is why we saw record-breaking rainfall in so many places in 2023 and why rainfall is breaking all kinds of records in California right now. There's so much more that this heat is responsible for, though. Seawater expands as the oceans get warmer, which raises sea levels. This in turn leads to coastal flooding and soil erosion, which threatens coastal communities and their ecosystems. So when climate scientists tell us that the heat stored in the upper layers of the ocean reached a record high last year, they're telling us that we're in the midst of a very severe climate crisis. Listen to what these climate scientists tell us we can expect over the next 50 years if we don't get a handle on that crisis, and soon we'll see more frequent and more extreme heat events in the coming years. When you consider how many people died from heat-related causes in 2023, predicting that we'll see more frequent and more extreme heat events is also predicting that many more people will die from heat-related causes year after year from here through the next 50 years. Over 61,000 people died in Europe alone in 2023 because of the extreme heat. At least 30,000 people apparently died here in the U.S. last year, although the final numbers are still being tallied. One thing we do know for certain is that heat is the number one cause of weather-related deaths here. It even outpaces deaths from hurricanes by 8 to 1. Record deaths are also expected when Canada's numbers are in. Taken together... The number of heat-related deaths around the world in 2023 is a significant increase from the previous years, and those numbers will just keep going up over the next 50 years if we don't get a handle on climate change. Considering that Jewish law, starting with the Torah, puts the preservation of life above virtually all of the other 613 Torah commandments and all the enabling legislation that has flowed from them over the millennia? Even if Jewish law never said anything about preserving the environment, this would be more than enough. As the Talmud teaches us, the one who saves a single life, it's as if that person has saved an entire world. Of course, Judaism has much to say about this subject, as you'll soon hear. Over the next 50 years, the scientists tell us, we'll also see more frequent and more intense wildfires and more catastrophic coastal flooding. We'll probably see some low-lying island nations completely disappearing underwater. 
You'll also see devastating droughts in other parts of the world, and many species are almost certain to disappear because of it. Food insecurity and water scarcity will become even bigger problems down the road than they are now, even though it's hard to imagine how these could be any worse than they already are. None of this has to happen, though. Climate change is at fault, no matter how much the naysayers in government and conservative think tanks deny this. We can mitigate the worst impacts of climate change. We can save lives and our world at one and the same time, but only if we rapidly transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy sources. The need to phase out fossil fuels was a major topic at mid-January's World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. And it's a phase-out that has to happen, not sooner or later, but as soon as possible, because otherwise there might not be a later. As UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres put it, quote, no amount of spin or scare tactics will change that. Unquote. The European Union began addressing the climate crisis for that continent back in 2019 when it approved the European Climate Law, which went into effect in July 2021. The law sets a legally binding target of reducing net greenhouse gas emissions by at least 55% by 2030 compared to 1990 levels. That's just six years from now. The law also sets a legally binding target for Europe of zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Tu is a minor holiday, of course, but it packs a powerful message, which is that we have to follow the Torah's insistence on preserving the world, not destroying it. As the Tanakh, our Bible says, quote, the earth is the Lord's and all that's in it, unquote. In other words, the earth isn't ours. It belongs to God. There's a midrash I often quote that's almost 2,000 years old, but it could have been written today. It has God warning the first human, the erroneously named Adam, to take care not to destroy anything in the world that God created, meaning the things that grow, the air we breathe, the water we drink, and so on. Because, said God in that Midrash, quote, if you do destroy something I created, there is no one who can come to replace it, unquote. We still haven't gotten that message nearly 2,000 years later, and that's probably because we don't want to get it. As much as many people of whatever religion pay lip service to, quote, the word of God, unquote, they all too often ignore God's word by twisting sacred texts to suit their desires for all kinds of things God never said and never intended. Whatever other people do, though, we Jews don't have a choice in how we approach these and so many other vital issues, because the Torah's texts and the enabling legislation our sages of blessed memory created from those texts insist on it. When it comes to environmental issues, here's an example of how people twist sacred texts in order to do as they please. Psalm 115 verse 16 states that, quote, 
The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but God has given the earth to the children of men. Unquote. People twist those words around and insist that we humans can do with the planet as we please because God gave it to us. It's not God's world anymore. It's ours, and we make the decisions about how to treat it. They make this argument even though they knowingly take that verse out of context in order to support their warped view of climate change. Here's what Psalm 115 actually says. It's simply telling us that God gave us a place to live. God gave us the earth. It says nothing about doing whatever we want to the earth. You can't just pull a verse out of the Tanakh, our Bible, and quote it as a standalone, although even rabbis going back to our sages have done so. There are somewhere around 305,000 words in the Tanakh, and they are all connected to each other in some way. There is no verse that is not dependent on all the other verses. There are other texts that make very clear what Psalm 115 verse 16 actually means, texts that the twisters choose to ignore. The first verse in Psalm 24, for example, states, quote, The earth is the Lord's, and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it, unquote. God is in heaven, and we are here on earth, but God still owns the earth. God is the landlord. That negates any twisting of the words in Psalm 115, something a person can do only by taking it out of context. There's more context, though, that the naysayers choose to ignore. Genesis 1, verse 31 says, quote, And God saw all that had been made and found it to be very good, unquote. God found creation to be very good. But here's something God didn't do. God deliberately did not make it perfect. God gave that job to us humans. If God had made everything to perfection, we humans would have no purpose in life. That's why Genesis 2, verse 15 says, quote, The Lord God put the first human into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it, unquote. To cultivate it and to keep it, not to destroy it. You can't get much clearer than that. Taking these two Genesis verses together, we're being told that humans are meant not only to cultivate the planet and to keep it safe and unharmed, but we also need to take what God said was very good and make it even better. God is the landlord. We're just God's caretakers here on earth. Our job, the job of all humankind, not just as Jews, is to care for the earth on behalf of the landlord. As I said earlier, it's that simple. Nowhere is the Torah's concern for the environment more evident than in its commandment in Leviticus 25 for us to give the land a Shabbat of its own, this one coming every seventh year and lasting for a whole year, so that it can rest and replenish. The first mention of that commandment appears in this week's Torah reading, by the way. Quote, Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but in the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, unquote. This is a well-known agricultural fact. 
Continuous farming depletes essential nutrients in the food that the land produces. Allowing the land to lie fallow for a year allows it to regain its fertility, which ultimately benefits future crops. That's why the Torah commands us to give the land a Shabbat of its own. Right now, nearly 800 million people worldwide live with food insecurity, meaning that they lack food of any kind, especially food that's sufficiently nutritious so that they can live active, healthy lives. Nearly 350 million of these people around the world are suffering from the most extreme forms of hunger right now, and nearly 49 million of them are said to be on the brink of famine. Crop rotation, which means giving different parts of arable land time off to replenish, in other words, giving that land a Shabbat of its own, is a major factor in addressing this very serious problem. Then there's one of my oft-quoted and favorite verses, Deuteronomy 20, verse 19, which states, quote, You shall not destroy the food-bearing trees of the enemy, unquote. As you've heard on these podcasts many times, this simple statement is anything but simple, because it leads to the halakhic principle known as baltashchit, meaning do not destroy, wanton destruction. As Maimonides, the Rambam, explained it a thousand years ago, quote, the Torah forbids uprooting anything without any purpose, unquote. Uprooting anything, the Rambam said, not just food-bearing trees. And he was only summarizing a millennia's worth of rulings by our sages and the rabbis who came after them. I also often quote Rabbi Aaron Halevi of Barcelona, who in his own 14th century way advocated for recycling, which he said is, quote, the way of the pious and those of good deeds. Not even a grain of mustard do they destroy, and they are grieved by any destruction they might see. If it is possible to save anything that is being spoiled, they spare no effort to do so, unquote. The lesser creatures of this world must also be protected, for no other reason than that treating species with abandon is tampering with God's blueprint for creation. As I said before, because of climate change, we're likely to see various species disappear altogether. Our sages, however, told us that everything God created must have a purpose. Otherwise, why would God have created something? So, when a species disappears... It can have serious complications for our world. Our sages in the Talmud told us that in their own way. Environmental scientists tell us that today in their own way. They all say the same thing, and we need to be mindful of that. It's sort of like pulling the thread off of a sweater and watching the whole sweater unravel. You've heard all this from me before. The message is clear. The earth is the Lord's, and all that's in it as God's kingdom of priests and holy nation, which is the only reason why we exist as Am Israel, the people Israel, as we heard read last Shabbat, we're God's messengers to the world. And we're supposed to deliver God's messages by example. We have to set an example for everyone else. Not only must we thank God for creation every day of our lives, but we need to take the lead in making certain that all of God's creation is treated with respect and given the protection it deserves. That, of course, is easier said than done.
It would mean, among other things, getting rid of those road monsters that many of us drive. It also means cutting back on the amount of meat we eat. The digestive systems of cows, sheep, lambs, and so on produce methane, which is a powerful greenhouse gas. Reducing methane emissions by reducing herds is an important aspect of mitigating climate change and its impacts. We can't reduce these herds if we continue to have a lust for meat, as the Torah puts it. We also need to be proactive in promoting environmental protection legislation and participating in recycling efforts and so on. As I said, this may be easier said than done, but no one ever said that being Torah true was easy. Tubishvat may be behind us now, but climate change will continue to be with us for much too long into the future, so we can still use the lessons of Tubishvat to start thinking of ways to protect trees and everything else God created. Spend part of the time on this Shabbat, for example, thinking about what each of us individually and all of us collectively can do, and should be doing, to protect our world from the ravages of global warming. Paraphrase what the Midrash I quoted earlier has God saying to Adam, the first human. If we keep damaging our world, there's no one out there to come down from the heavens to fix it. The earth is the Lord's. We're God's caretakers. We need to act like that. And we need to show the world why everyone else needs to act like that as well. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer. I do hope you come back for my next podcast, and I'd like to hear what you have to say about this or my other podcasts. Go to www.shamai.org, www.shamai.org, and email me, please. If you don't get the Jewish Standard but want to read my columns, go to the columns page of my website. Shabbat Shalom. Stay healthy. Keep wearing those N95 masks in crowds no matter who tells you otherwise. Pray for the state of Israel. Pray for the success of Tzahal, the IDF. Pray for the return of all the hostages who may still be alive. And above all, stay safe.